Turn to Daniel chapter 11. I share with you last week that, uh, uh, first of all, big point of my sermon last week was to share with you and hope that you begin to grasp the reality of the spiritual warfare that we are in as Christians. I think we have uh, diminished that in so many ways in our Christian faith where we, we really have come to believe that there's not much spiritual going on. But I would say to you that most of the things that are going on that are contrary, if not all things that are going on that are contrary to faith, are, are based in the spiritual realm, first of all. Now, the enemy of your soul would like to convince you that you don't have to worry about the spiritual realm. Just worry about, you know, the, the, the circumstance, situation you find yourself in the physical world. Everything that you deal with in the physical world that's contrary to, to God in any way starts in the spiritual realm. Now, I tell you this because I want to remind you that we're taught in the scripture that our battle is in that realm. That's where the battle is. We have, we're, we're fighting the wrong fronts in so many ways. Cause, cause we, we believe that our battle is with flesh and blood and with, 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 uh, different philosophies and different, different, different approaches to life. And yes, those battles are real, but we need to understand where they originate from. Because when we understand where they originate from, then we can, we can join the battle at the most effective place to deal with those things. For our men, we will start this Wednesday morning, uh, after we have breakfast together, we will, we will start in equipping you for spiritual battle. So if you're able to join us for that, for that time together, I encourage you to do that. We're gonna, we're gonna see what the Bible says about it. Then we're, we're gonna give you the information you need. So once again, that the Holy Spirit would take that and help you, uh, particularly the men to be able to stand, uh, in this time. Uh, there's a lot that goes on in, in the scripture that if you don't have a, what I want to say, a, a concept of the spiritual, it just, it just turns into just, just words on a page to us. But when the, not only does the Spirit of God breathe life into the Word of God, but to understand where the real battle is and what's going on, uh, it, it helps us to know how to walk, how to live. We're going to look in Daniel chapter 11. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. But, so I would encourage you to do that, uh, maybe later on today. But it's interesting that, that Daniel in, in Daniel chapter 11 will be very, very specific about what is coming um, almost immediately for the people of Israel. But then he also projects ahead prophetically to what is yet to happen for us. It, 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 it's almost as if it, history was written before it happened. By the way, that's exactly what it is. God is not surprised at, 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 at what's going to happen. He never has been. He knows the end from the beginning. And at times, he has chosen to reveal that information to his people. In the Old Testament, we're told in the book of Amos that he does nothing unless first he speaks through his prophets to his people. Daniel is one of those great books where God has chosen to speak through his man, his prophet, uh, his truth. Now, one of the things that, that, as we look at a portion of this, that we see it as history for us, please understand it was all prophecy for Daniel and for the people of Israel. But what this does for me, if I, if I can share it that way, is, is when I read prophecy that is history to us, and it, it has come through every point right on, even to information to say nobody could have known that except God. 
then what it does for me is it affirms to me that that which God has said is still coming, it's going to happen just like he said. And we can rest in the promise that God has for us. Even though there's some fearful things coming upon this earth, we as a people of God can rest in him knowing that not only does he, he have what's going to happen, but he has us also. We rest in Christ. We are secure in Christ. But, but don't be mistaken. We are still involved in a spiritual battle. It is real. Uh, I, I don't know. Last week, some of you made some commitments to the Lord. Some of you prayed some things to the Lord. And you, and you, and you told the Lord that you were, you were willing to join in this spiritual battle. My guess is that, if, like me, you probably had some spiritual battles this week. And, and, and those spiritual battles are going to continue. Uh, we live in a day and time where everything is, is wanted to be drugged down to the lowest common denominator. And what I mean by that is, well, you know, I've had people tell me, you can't speak about this issue because it's a political issue. Well, long before these issues, whatever issue became a political issue, they were a spiritual issue. They remain a spiritual issue. But when you drag them down to that lowest common denominator, you say, wait a minute, you can't speak about that because it is a political matter, and you're a preacher not allowed to do that. Well, first of all, they can't tell me what to talk about. They don't have that kind of right. And and don't buy it in that lie that they tell you that they can tell you what to speak about. So when we, we'll be promoting the, the March to Life that's coming up the first part of March real soon. You'll see some of that next week and stuff. Uh, what's, what's the March to Life all about? Well, what's life all about? What's that baby all about? I mean, when you talk about that, when you talk about, about the, the, the social issues that are going on today, what are they all about? Where do they stem from? What about the gender dysphoria that's happening today? Where does that come from? Where, does, where do these things come from? They are not political movements, and they are not just, just societal movements. They are spiritual issues, and all of them are designed by the enemy of your soul to attack your faith and to attack the truth of God's word. So we must be equipped as a people of God. That being said, let's look at what God says to, 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 to Daniel here. And he's, he's going to give him some, again, some information that, that, that Daniel needs to know uh, in order to speak into the, the world that Daniel's in. And again, to warn the people of God what's coming down the pike. Now, here's what you can know. How does this, how this work so you get this? It originates in the spiritual, but it will always manifest in the physical. Okay? This is why it's so important that we understand where it comes from. Because once again, when we join the spiritual warfare that we're called to be a part of, we want to attack the enemy, the enemy of your soul. You want to attack at that source and not wait till it, till it fully manifests in the physical because you're already behind the eight ball when that happens. I said it last week. Most Christians that I know, and even church that I know, they are more they are more in the maintenance mode than they are in the mission mode. Meaning that we're trying to maintain, and we're trying to just kind of hang on, and we're trying to fix what needs to be fixed because because we we've neglected to see where it comes. When you're in the mission mode, you're in the front lines. 
And you, you understand that you are dealing with spiritual forces that are, that are, that, that, that are the enemy of your soul. So here we have God giving Daniel information about that which is going to come against Israel, because that's the focus of Daniel's, of Daniel's message here. And then later on, what is going to come upon the whole earth? So I'm going to kind of give you an idea as where we're heading. He's going, to, he's going to speak and move toward a very evil, vile person in this, in this uh, passage we're going to read. And, but that evil, vile person has nothing upon the other evil son of perdition who's coming upon this earth. And that's the picture that Daniel is going to give us in this passage here today. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 11. He begins by, by drawing our attention to, to an end of an empire. That end of the empire is the Medo-Persian Empire. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, the king of the Medes over the Medo-Persian Empire, I, even I, stood up and confirmed and strengthened him. So God has given him a message for this king. And he says, and now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Now, we've already studied in the book of, of, of Daniel, and we also know it historically in human history, that you had the Babylonian Empire. The Babylon, Babylonians fall to the Medo-Persian Empire. And we also know historically that the Medo-Persian Empire falls to who? To Greece under the leadership of a man by the name of Alexander. So the Medo-Persian Empire is false. And what, what Daniel is trying to tell Darius here, he's given him a glimpse and he says, there's going to be three more kings, and then there's going to be a fourth one, and he's going to be richer and greater than them all, and God will use him to stir up the people against the next empire that God has chosen to take on the earth. That, that would be the Greek, would be the Greek Empire. That man we know, his name was Xerxes. He spells his name funny, but it's Xerxes. And, and, and it, interesting, even in your Bible, you have a tie to this whole family unit by, by, the, by the, 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 the name of, a, of, a, of a, a young Jewish lady by the name of Esther. And there's a story there that, that ties a man by the name of Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle or cousin. What was it, uncle or cousin? Anyways, he related to her. And, 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 and then another man by the name of Haman. Now, when I talk about spiritual warfare, here's what I want you to hear. In the garden, Satan tempted the man and the woman to deny the authority of God's word, to reject it, and to give them the desire or tempt them to have the desire to be like God. They bought into it. Why did he do that? Well, he did it because he's contrary to God in every way. But there, he has a, a more devious purpose, and that purpose is he wants to thwart God's plan for humanity. And again, we see that in history. We come to the ones I just talked about now with Haman and Esther. Well, what did Haman want to do? I mean, you read it in the book of Esther. What did he want to do? He wanted to annihilate. He wanted to kill every Jew that was in existence, every Israelite that was in existence in that time. 
That was Haman's plan. Matter of fact, he had the king make a decree to do that. There was a, and he set a date. Man, he just set a date. He said, on this day, one year from this time, we will go and we will kill every Jewish individual that exists. You got a problem there because you have Esther who's in, who's in the palace and she's Jewish. God stepped in using Esther who understood that God finally understood by Mordecai's encouragement that God had set her in that place for just that time. We later on, we see that when Jesus was born, that Herod, what did he try to do? He tried to annihilate Jesus. If he could kill the baby Jesus in Bethlehem, he wants, Satan could once again thwart God's plan. This wasn't between Herod and Jesus. This wasn't between Herod and Mary and Joseph. This was Satan. This is that spiritual warfare that's taken place. And even in recent history, you and I have seen, you and I have seen, it seems ancient to a lot of us, but, but it's really recent history. We've seen, we've seen a man brought to power by the name of Hitler. What was his purpose? To annihilate the Jewish race. Why? To thwart God's plan. It's not just Hitler against the Jews. It's a spiritual battle that's going on. And what you see over in Israel, a continual battle to destroy the nation of Israel. Why? And again, I've told people this before. I don't agree with every geopolitical move that that the nation of Israel makes today. I don't. Nor do I believe I'm called to do that, even as a Christian. But here's what I do believe. That God has a prophetic plan for the people of Israel even today. And Satan will again try to thwart that plan any way that he can. And the prophet Zechariah says that the day will come when the whole world will stand against Israel. Just prior to the time when Jesus will come again. You must see these things because it ties into what, what's going to happen here with a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And then the last failed attempt to completely destroy the nation of Israel will be led by the one we call Antichrist. We see this. And again, people say, well, Jesus has come. So there's no longer a need for a nation of Israel. Listen, it's not a matter of a need. It's a matter of God's plan. And he has shown this and he's chosen this people. And by the way, Christian, my Gentile brothers and sisters, your faith is rooted in the Jewish faith fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. So when we see this here, we see that, that God is going to use Daniel to tell the king uh, Darius that that. The end is coming for the, for the Medo-Persian Empire. Now look at verse 3 with me. What's going to happen? He says, after this time, in God's timing, when Greece has been lifted up, he says, then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. Who is he referencing here? The answer is he's referencing a man by the name of Alexander. We call him Alexander the Great. The great general, the great leader of the, of the nation of Greece, the undefeated one, the incredible commander, this young man, relatively, 
but able to do whatever he wants to do. But then at the time of his greatest prosperity and, 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 and at a great young age, he dies. What happens to the kingdom of Alexander? Well, he tells it. Look at verse 4. He says, and when he has arisen, when Alexander has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds. What's the four winds? North, south, east, and west. Divided toward the four winds of heaven. But not among his posterity. In other words, he has no children. He's a king and he has no children to leave his kingdom to. Not along his posterity, he goes on to say, uh, uh, excuse me, not according, but not, nor according to his dominion which, which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others beside these. Well, you can look at history and see what happened to Alexander's kingdom once Alexander died at the age of 33. What happened to his kingdom? And it's not, this is not the only place in the scripture it talks about this. His kingdom was divided among his four generals. We have the names of those generals in history. We have, and boy, some of these you know I can't say. Lysisius. That's close enough. Close enough. That's not right, but that's close enough. He was given Asia Minor. He was given the area to the, to the east. Okay? We have Cassander. He was given Macedonia and Greece. He had, was given to the west. You have a man by the name of Ptolemy. He was given the, the land to the south, Egypt and that, that area. And then you have the last of his general, a man by the name of Seleucus. He was given the area to the north. Now we say, you say, Pastor, what, you know, this is getting a little bit complicated. This is getting, this is getting a little bit too much for me. Well, wait, if, if I was to read the next section of this passage to you, you'd be lost. I'm just telling you. There's so much that's going on here. So I, my, my purpose here is, is for you to know that before it happened, God told Daniel of this, what's going to happen in the world, in the, in the flesh, impacted by the spiritual. He said, he says this. Medo-Persian kingdom is going to fall. You're going to have three other kings and that one that's going to be greater than all, who's going to stir up the Greek, the Greek empire. The Greek empire is going to be led by this amazing leader that does according to his own will. He doesn't ask anybody. He, he does according to his own will. But he's going to be cut off. He's going to die. And he's not going to leave anybody to take over for him. So what's going to happen is his kingdom is going to be divided according to the four winds of, of, of heavens. The north, the south, the east, and the west. Once again, if this did not happen so specifically, we say, well, you know, this kind of... But notice how specific he is. And again, history tells us exactly what happened to Alexander and what happened to his kingdom. And now his four... Generals have taken over these different four regions of the earth. Remember, Alexander was the one who basically conquered the whole known world at that time. So who is going to take over when Alexander falls? Well, we see. Daniel's told, and then history tells us it happened just the way that Daniel said it would happen. Now, after this breaking up, if you will, of the kingdom of Greece... And, you, and again, you'd still have the influence of, 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 of the Greek people all over the world, at, all over the known world at this time. Then you, you had a lot of things begin to happen. 
And again, once again, in verses, verses 5 to 35, which I'm, I don't have time to read, Daniel is going to tell us what will happen. Because there's going to be conflict between these four generals and their four regions. Now, Daniel chooses because it has more to do, I believe, because it has more to do with the nation of Israel and what's going to happen to them. And also brings us to the place where he wants to know us about, wants us to know about this vile person that's coming. He chose, he chooses to deal not so much with the king who received the region of the west, nor the region of the east, but he chooses to deal with the two kings, one from the north, which would be the, the line of, 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 of Seleucus, and the, the king of the south, or the region of the south, which would have to do with Ptolemy and the empire of the Ptolemies. So what's going to happen? Well, he gives us this, this picture that's going to happen between these two, these two kings, the north and the south. And when I say that, it's not just the, the ones who originally got the positions, that, that would be Ptolemy and Seleucus, but it is their people also, the ones who followed them. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Their, their own sons that, that followed them and, and the things that would go on. So he, he begins to talk about, about wars. The wars that are going to take place between the king of the north and the king of the south. Now, most of these wars, when it talks about north, south, east, and west in, in biblical prophecy, what's your center point? Anybody know? It's Jerusalem. It's the Holy Land. North of the Holy Land, south of the Holy Land, east of the Holy Land, west of the Holy Land. But when you have a king of the north getting into battles with king of the south, where do you think a lot of those battles are going to take place? What's ever in between? Guess what's in between? The Holy Land. Israel, if you will. So they have these battles. They continue to have battles. One generation after another. And, and, and what these lead to is these battles that never lead to anything. Well, maybe there's a time that Daniel talks about that the king of the north overcomes the king of the south. But it's not too long till the king of the south overcomes the king of the north. That's what he talks about in this section. So what happens? Well, you finally get kind of tired of fighting. And then you begin to make alliances. How are these alliances made between these kings and the, these kingdoms, if you will? Well, in that ancient world... What you would do is you would give your daughter to be married to the son of the king. So you have, that's exactly what happened. The daughter of, of the king of the south gets married to the king of the north. That's supposed to make everything right. That's supposed to basically join these two kingdoms and stuff. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because everybody, like all humanity, is always trying to get their own. I'm not trying to be a cynic. I'm just trying to be a realist here. You know, nothing's changed in all these thousands of years. People just trying to get their own, trying to gain their own advantage, trying to gain one up on someone else. You know, Jesus taught us what a servant leader looks like. Did he not? Jesus taught us what it looks like when you're willing to pour yourself into someone else's life because you care more about what's going on in their life than you actually do in your own life. Paul tells us that we are to esteem others more highly than we esteem ourselves. You see, this kind of a philosophy of life is a biblical philosophy. It's not a worldly philosophy. And those who hate you, those who stand against you, <coughs> the principalities and powers in the heavenlies, 
They want us, even in the church, to act like the world acts. See, it's really about me. It's really about me building my kingdom. Sadly, I've met pastors that that's their approach. They're building their own kingdom. Everybody needs to come hear them. Everybody needs to be a part of their ministry. They want to leave this great legacy. I was the greatest pastor that the world has ever known. Well, uh, I, I almost get this idea that the greatest pastor that the world has ever known probably isn't much known by the world. Concerned about popularity, power, personality, position. That becomes the essence in the body of Christ. And it manifests itself in, in some ugly ways and even in the church. Jealousy, envy, backbiting, gossip. Seeking power or, or positions. This is my area. You don't touch my area. This is for me, not for you. This is for us. We need to be very careful, church. These are spiritual matters that manifest themselves in the flesh. I've taught you before. God has called us to humility, biblical humility. You know what that is? I've said it. It's not thinking too highly of yourself. We call that conceit. But it's not thinking too lowly of yourself. Oh, I'm miserable. I can't do anything. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. Oh, that we could get to the place where it really becomes about Jesus instead of about us. First issue that people have about churches is what they do like, what they do like about that church and what they don't like about the church. It very rare, it very rarely is a question of how is the Spirit of God leading me? Very rarely. I've pastored for over 40 years now. And I've seen pretty much every manifestation of this. People making decisions, making decisions, not based on anything spiritual. And it's why I've come to a place where I believe that most Christians don't even believe it's a spiritual issue any longer. How do I feel about it? How does it make me feel? I mean, we talk about the world saying they have lost all sense of reality because they make statements, well, I feel like I'm this, or I feel like I'm that, or I feel like this is true. But the church does that all the time. It's not about the guidance of the Holy Spirit anymore. It's about how I feel about things. And we make decisions based upon that. And we, as long as we do that, we remain functioning in the material world without any spiritual guidance. And when that happens, all that can result are wars, battles, envies, jealousies, brokenness, separations. I mean, we can go right down, down the line. But until the church understands Listen, until we understand this is a spiritual issue and we wake up to that and we function within that realm, nothing will ever change in the church. And not being a fatalist, but I, but the words of Jesus just really bother me today when he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith upon this earth? Man, that ought to be a great concern for you and I. Listen, we can do church, do the church thing. We can do religion. We can do uh, 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 programs. We can do all those things. Doing those things, we can make someone happy for a little bit. 
But the reality of, I'll just tell you my experience as a pastor, and I don't, I'm not asking anybody, I just want you to see where, where the battle is. It's a spiritual battle. Listen, my experience has been this. I can be there for somebody ten times. I can be there for somebody ten times. But miss number 11, and all of a sudden I become the jerk of the world and the worst pastor you've ever seen. Why? Why? Because the basis upon which most of us choose church is what we can get out of it. And how we feel about what we get out of it. We never come to the point where we hit our knees and say, Lord, I need the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God to where I need to be. And when I'm there, what I need to be doing because I'm there. It's not about feeling. It's about the spirit, the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And we see that the, that only happens in the, in, in the world because James tells us where do wars and where do, where do fighting and, and things happen among you? Talk about the believers. Where do they come from? They come from a selfish heart. They come from a me-centered uh, approach. And, and when you look at the history of the world, that's, that's the essence of what it is. And what I'm saying is your pastor is God has called us to see it for what it is and to move out of just the natural realm and the, and the impact of natural circumstances and situations and see the spiritual battle that we're in. And don't let the, don't let the enemy get a foothold in your life. And when he brings up something in your life contrary to another brother or sister of Christ, you need to tell him like you would tell a gossip in the church, I'm not listening to what you have to say. That's my brother. That's my sister. You're not going to talk about my brother or my sister. Now listen, you how many of you grew up in homes with more than one kid? There were four in the Pierce household. We don't really count the last one because he came 10 years after I did, and he's really, I like to pick on Dr. Tim. My sister and I have a unique relationship. I used to teach her how to wrap her hands in the, in the dishcloth at home so we could get in a boxing match. <laughs> it was good to see her go down. <laughs> it was really not a nice thing. You say, Pastor, why are you, why are you saying that, something like that? Because I could do that. She was my sister. But don't let anybody else in the neighborhood try something like that with her. Why? Because that's my sister. You don't say anything bad about him. You don't hurt her. You don't do anything to her. When will the church learn that we are family? And if we're not, we're not the church. We're just a religious organization. Yeah, you can say, you can say something about me as your brother. You can share with me your disappointments or you can share with me your concerns. You can share with me, and I need to be able to do that with you also. But when will we stand up for each other? First in the spiritual realm, Satan, you're not going to say that about my sister. You're not going to put that in my mind about my sister or my brother in Christ. No more. 
I'm not going to listen to your lies. And by the way, Satan, even if they are true, you're not the one that's trying to fix it. You're just trying to stir up trouble. And when the world says something about us, the world has no say about us. Quit listening to them. These are where the wars come from. And their, their, their answer to fix it in this, in this time was to, well, let's just, let's just make these alliances. You know, and it, we say this a little bit, there's no peace without Jesus, and that's true. Any kind of alliance to try, the world tries to make is always an, a, an attempt to manipulate whoever you're making that alliance with so you can get, again, to get one up on them. It's called making contracts. You know what I'm talking about. All right? But they, these, these alliances, these man-made alliances in this passage you'll read here, lead to broken promises. These broken promises lead to what? Wars, and even more specific than wars, in this passage, he speaks even of, of assassinations. Even where one brother, who was named Seleucius Third, who was a relatively good guy, had another brother by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was not a good guy. And Antiochus led his people down to the south, attacking the, the Ptolemies once again, and he got routed. He got defeated. And it's all history, pre-written history here, but it's all history. He gets routed. He moves back up toward the north through where? The Holy Land. And there he confronts his brother, Seleucius III. There he assassinates his brother, Seleucius III. And he's so angry at his defeat at the hands of the Ptolemies that he begins to take it out upon the Jews. Another attempt by Satan to destroy the Jewish people. Let me tell you what this man Antiochus Epiphanes did. After he loses that battle to the, to the south, he again becomes enraged. He goes back into the Holy Land and he immediately kills 80,000 Jewish people. 80,000. He takes 40,000 others captive. And then he sells 40,000 others into slavery. He's filled with rage against these people. His battle was with the king of the south, but he already lost that battle. So he comes back in and he, and, and he, and he attacks these, these Jewish people in their own land. And he's so, so much a vile person that he moves into the temple. Now, this is not Solomon's temple. This is the second temple, originally built by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. God, I can't say that, but God used him to build that, to build that temple. Antiochus goes into the temple, and he defiles the temple by setting up a statue of one of his gods, Zeus, and then he slaughters a pig. In the altar of the temple. 
Daniel tells about, tells about, he, he calls it the abomination that brings forth desolation. Now, at that point, God raises up or begins to raise up a group of people that you know in, in history and stuff. We don't have this part in the Bible. A group by the name of the Maccabees. And you'll remember what they did. God used them to force, eventually force these, these vile people out. And we have the cleansing of the temple itself. We have the oil that was only supposed to last for a day that carries on for, what is it, seven days? It, it carries on. And we have a cleansing of the temple. And now the Jewish people have a celebration for that that happens right around our Christmas time. Anybody know what that celebration is? It's Hanukkah. That is a celebration, the Feast of Lights. It is, is a celebration of the cleansing of the temple. But this matter of, this matter of, of what happens to Antiochus. Antiochus is a vile person. He's a murderer. But again, he is led or he is empowered by hell itself. And God, uh, the, the enemy of, of God uses him to once again try to thwart God's plan and destroy the Jewish people. In this passage, Daniel brings us to the place where, where, where once again Antiochus is, 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 is over, overthrown. And then Daniel moves again to speaking of another vile, which is to come. Which for us church is not past or history, but it is future. What has been shall be. Let's say that again. What has been shall be. Look at verse 36 in this chapter with me today. And he's talking about another king. It says, this king, or then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. Now there's a break here in Daniel saying, look at the end of verse 35. It talks about, uh, it talks about the end of Antiochus, and it says, then it says, then it says this, says, because it is still, I mean, it says, and make them, let me read verse 35. And some of those understanding shall fall to refine them, to purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for an appointed time. So we have one of those, what we call a time passage. We move to a, to a, to a time later on. Then we have described for us a king who will come and do according what Daniel says, according to his own will. Now, what has been shall be. The abomination of desolation took place under the hand uh, or by the hand of Antiochus Epiphanes. And look at we see in verse back in verse thirty one it says this and it says and forces shall be mustered by him that's Antiochus and they shall defile the the, the the sanctuary fortress, and they shall take away the daily sacrifices outside the temple and place there the abomination of desolation. So we see that is the, if you will, the original abomination of desolation that I described for you just a little bit ago by Antiochus Epiphanes. 
But the Bible makes it clear that there is an abomination of desolation that is yet to come. It, it amazes me how unoriginal Satan is. What has been will be. And we see this in the, in the passage. I want to give you, give you a few passages where, where you can read this at and you'll, you'll, you'll see it for yourself. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, which we did a couple of weeks ago. And it talks about the future when Antichrist will take power. And here's what it says in verse 27. It says this. It says, it says, Then he, that is Antichrist, shall confer a covenant with many for one week or a, period, or a period of seven years. We talked about what that means. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring the end to the sacrifice and offerings. And on the wing of an abomination shall one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined. Daniel talks about the abomination of desolation which is to come. But not only does Daniel talk about it, look in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. Jesus actually talks about it. Verse 24, uh, verse 15 of Matthew 24 says this. Then when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. The 24th chapter of the book of Daniel is a response to Jesus' disciples and they ask questions. When will the end be? What will be the sign of your coming? The 24th chapter is the answer to that. And notice what Jesus speaks. First of all, he speaks into the future. He says, when you see these things happening, including the abomination of desolation, which Daniel spoke about. Now, he certainly wasn't talking about an event that happened 500 years earlier. Or a couple hundred years earlier. He was talking about a coming event. And he describes it as the abomination of desolation. That Daniel spoke about. So we have Daniel speaking about a future abomination of desolation. We have Jesus speaking about a future abomination of desolation. But that's not all. Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, that's the day of the Lord, will not come unless a falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. How is he going to be revealed? Look at what, how he describes it. Very similar to what Daniel said. Who exalts, excuse me, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So that he sits as God in the temple of God. The abomination of desolation. So he sits in, as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then in Revelation chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. And he, speaking of the Antichrist, is given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he is given authority to continue for 42 weeks, that's three and a half years. Then he opens his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Jesus gave us as one of the signs of the end of the time, is that this Antichrist will come, this son of perdition will come, and he will do, again, the abomination of desolation. This man who will claim to be God himself. This man who will demand worship. 
This man who will blame, excuse me, blaspheme God and speak and do many vile things. This man that will put all of his energy to destroy, once again, the nation of Israel in an attempt to thwart the plan of God. When Daniel speaks in Daniel chapter 11, he wants us to know of the reality of the spiritual battle that's taking place, but the spiritual battle that will manifest itself in the flesh or in real life. What will this Antichrist be like? Daniel, in, again, in verses 37 through 39 of Daniel chapter 11, he tells us of what this guy will be like. He says this, verse 37, He shall re- regard neither God, the God of his fathers, nor desire, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Just like John described him. Verse 38, but in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, a God which their fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. You can't get a much more clear picture of idolatry than than what he speaks of right there. And then verse 39, thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with, with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. This is how Daniel, the description of Daniel is given uh, of the Antichrist. Now, very quickly, how can we know what he's going to be like? First thing, Daniel makes it clear. He's a blasphemer. He claims to be God. He makes people worship him. Revelation chapter 13, it talks about how the false prophet actually sets up an image of this Antichrist and requires everyone to bow down and worship this image and to take a mark upon themselves. And if they don't, they cannot buy, sell, or trade, or do anything in that society. There's never been a time in history like the one we live in right now, folks. How could, when John wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how could, the world, how could anybody control the world in such a manner? And many of us think there's, it's not even possible today to control the world in such a manner. Yet you just lived through, you just lived through a demonstration of how easy it is to control and manipulate the whole world. You just got a little preview. And I think the, the, the forces of this world, the ones who control this world, the principalities of power, wanted to see if humanity is ready to be controlled. We were tested. And we failed. We showed them that we're ready to be controlled. Some of you don't believe what I just said. That's fine. But the reality is... We are so controlled that you have no idea. My time is running out, but I I want you to see a picture that God gives us in the Old Testament of control. You'll remember that Joseph, I'm going to take you all the way back to Joseph and his brothers. You will remember that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. You remember that? Then you have all the events that Joseph kind of went through until finally Joseph finds himself in Pharaoh's palace. Incredible. How did this Jewish boy, the shepherd, 
go from being that shepherd, sold into slavery, and then eventually ends up in Pharaoh's palace with Pharaoh's favor. It's an incredible story. You know the whole story, but it's an incredible story. But there's something God shows us in that story that, that, that if we're not careful, we bypass it very easily. Here, here, here it is. How do you control a people? How do you control everything about a people? How are you able to manipulate a people? Well, we're shown in the Old Testament. We're shown by Joseph. You remember what happened? God gave Pharaoh a dream. The dream was of a great famine that was going to happen. God gave Joseph the interpretation of that dream and gave him the ability to counsel Pharaoh. And what did Pharaoh do? What, what, what did he tell Pharaoh to do? He said, you need to start storing up. For seven years, God is going to give you so much plenty that if you are wise and you store up, you will have more than you need. So you need to build storehouses. But not only do you need to build storehouses, in these next seven years, you need to build cities. Cities like the world has never seen. And God is going to use you and give you great power if you'll do this. Pharaoh did what Joseph told him to do. The famine hits. It's far worse than anybody can think that would happen. Jumping to the chase. What happened in Egypt? Well, eventually, all these farmers and all these people who took care of their animals, the famine got them. It wasn't for long that they were willing to sell their land to Pharaoh. But Joseph had some more counsel for Pharaoh. You want to know how you can control these people once once you have their land? You move them into the cities. So they become reliant upon you. We live in a time and a generation when we have all been moved into the cities. <coughs> Except for a few people that are still out there on the farms, I guess. But for the most part, we are in the cities. Do you understand how easily it would be to control the people in the city of Phoenix, the Phoenix area? All you got to do is turn on something or turn off something. How reliant are you upon the food chain that's here? Upon the electrical grid that's here? Upon the fresh water source that is here? What if some malevolent person takes control of those things? Oh, pastor, that won't happen. Okay. I'll leave that there and you think about it for a while. But you see, our cities are more than just communities that we live in today. We live in a Time when there, when when computers and, and and that kind of thing have much more control over your life than you actually think that they do. How much of your information do they have? How much do they know about you? Have you ever sat and thought about that? How much do they know where you're at, where you spend, what you buy, how much money you have in the bank? What if a evil, vile person got control of all that? I keep hearing people tell me, oh, we'll stand. And we won't stand for it. No, for the most part, people will just give in and go. 
I used to believe when Antichrist came on, he was going to have to put people in a hammer, hammer lock to get, to get them to follow him. No, we're prime. We're ready. And that's exactly what Daniel gives us a picture of this one. He is a blasphemer. He has no, Daniel actually says he lost all natural desires. He's not driven by, by desires that, that human beings have. Some people say, you know, again, that has to do with women. It really has more to do with, he's not driven by desires. He has one purpose, to please the dragon, to please Satan. And that's the third, the third thing, you know, he's empowered by hell itself. He will do lying signs and wonders, so much so, Jesus says, that if it were possible, he would deceive even the elect. A time's coming. And I'm going to close with this thought, because that's what Daniel tells us here, that a time is coming. <clears throat> when that veil between the natural world and the supernatural world is going to be pulled back. And my question would be this, how many Christians are going to be ready for that? We have lived in the natural world so long, church. We've acted like the natural world so long. We've fought in the natural world so long that we no longer even believe there's a supernatural world out there or dimension out there. And Satan loves it that we've ignored him and we continue to ignore him. If the study of Daniel has done anything for you, here's what I hope it's done for you. It's open your eyes to the reality of the spiritual battle and warfare that's all around us. And I hope it changes the way you pray, the way you live, the way you read and, and receive scripture. And I, hope it, I hope it changes the, the, the thought within your mind and my mind how desperately we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And we stop acting and reacting just like the world does, and start responding as a people who are led by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Daniel doesn't just leave us there as he closes out this chapter, and I don't have time to go into that. He tells us, he tells us, and then John tells us in Revelation, the end of the Antichrist. As Antioch's Epiphanes, had a horrible personal ending. We're told in the scripture that Antichrist will have even a more horrible personal in, in, ending. Do you know who are the first two residents of eternal hell? You say, Pastor, what do you mean eternal hell? I'm talking about the lake of fire. The final place of punishment for everybody who's rejected God. John calls it the lake of fire. It happens for human beings. It happens after the great white throne judgment. Right now they're in Hades. They're awaiting that day. But do you know who the first two residents of the lake of fire are? John tells us. When Jesus returned, he will take Antichrist and the false prophet and he will cast them directly into the lake of fire. But I tell you that because I want you to know this. If we as a people 
become involved in the spiritual battle God has called us in, here's what you could know. If I can put it this way, you're on the winning side. I don't know exactly everything we're going to have to go through, but here's what I know. When everything's said and done, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus will find that their faith has been well-founded and well-grounded. But if we decide to go another way, well, he tells us. We are told as a people we do not need to fear Satan. We do not need to fear the fallen angels. We do not need to fear the demons. If you're going to have fear, fear the one who holds eternity in his hands. But we need to be aware of the enemies, the spiritual enemies are out there. We need to walk as a people of God, filled with the spirit of God, being involved in the battle that God has called us to be involved in. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me this morning.